listening to a brain stew fresh fright review. Welcome, creeps, schools, ghosts, and all you class five full roaming vapors out there. Busting makes me feel good. Oh, it does. It does, baby, to another brain stew, fresh fright review. That's it, man. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I'm Justin. And I am absolutely Jeremy. J and J. And last week it was three J's. It was triple J. We had our good friend Joe on for Movie Dumpster. So thanks again for him popping on to talk to Prowler. It was a absolute blast. That was a blast. I, I laughed really, really fucking hard. And I think me and Joe both woke up the next day laughing about uh, some of the Arnold stories and stuff that we talked about. So if you guys haven't checked out that episode, it is a hoot and holler jalapeno it's hard not to laugh with that dude around. Seriously, he's absolutely hilarious. Oh, he's fucking great. Every single thing he says that comes out of his mouth, it's it's funny. Movie dumpster fucking rules. So check them out. But this week on the show, Jeremy, we'll be talking about one of our most anticipated movies of the year. I know I can speak for you of many years. I know years, you're fucking bro. yeah, thirty two years exactly. Yeah, in the waiting. Yeah, Jason Reitman's Ghostbusters Afterlife, which we had the opportunity. To see early, we saw it last night yeah, at a press screening. Sure did. There was like there was like three people there, and then there was like a hundred and fucking fifty thousand people lining up down the hall for some Amazon thing that I'm I still don't know what it yeah, was. I don't, but apparently, oh no. not everyone could get into it. Jeremy, yeah, I read some stuff. People were mad. No shit, like, dude. Yeah, you, you walked in and it was like you're going to fucking Nissan Pavilion or Jiffy Lube Live or whatever the fuck that place is called. Now it's like going to a concert. I was like, what is happening? I'm so glad that I like, that I talked to you on the phone first because you were like, yo, whatever the fuck the people are waiting for in the I lobby. I was so confused. Yeah, but then I saw a guy dressed as like Sub Zero or something, and I'm like, wait, wait, are they showing like the old Mortal Kombat? Dude, movie? I saw somebody there'd dressed. Be, there'd be like, yeah, I saw somebody dressed as a wizard. So I was like, what the fuck is happening here? But. <laughs> Yeah. We, I, I just walked uh, right it, it, past them and, and looked at them as just as strange as, as how they looked. It's a long walk up. We, we saw the movie at Regal Majestic, and it's like fucking three flights of stairs to get up to the movies. Man. Yeah, it's, we got we got the cardio in. <laughs> going, yeah. to going to that, but dude, it's 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 been a while. We've we haven't done a regular review in a few no, weeks, so. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is up, man? We haven't actually just chatted and Dude, bullshitted about what's going so, on in the world of Jeremy. So much shit, man. I mean, we, we didn't talk about the stuff that we did over Halloween. Um, because we've been, you know, we, we talked about other shit. So, uh, dude, a lot happened in the past couple weeks, man. I uh, I went to Chiller Theater. Saw our buddy uh, Patrick Sherwood, which was fucking awesome. And there were some cool people at, at Chiller Theater, like uh, Michelle Michaels from Slumber Party Massacre. Tom fucking Behringer, The Substitute. That was that was a childhood favorite of mine was The Substitute. I, I love that movie. Uh, Major League for me, man. Major uh, League yeah. for me all oh, the way he, with him. He was fucking great. Um, Ed Gale, who who played Chucky in the a lot of the live action sequences that they needed a person to perform. And he's Howard, he's Howard the he, Duck, he, too, he man. He was absolutely Howard the Duck. 
Um, he was there, and it's funny for him. They were like, "This is his last convention appearance ever," and I was like, "Oh man, I, I definitely got to get this guy on on a Dolly Dearest poster of all things." <laughs> of course, of course, you. I, would. I need the obscure. What else would you fucking? I need get? the obscure. Yeah, of course, could, could I add him there. to Child's Play? Yes, but I, I want him on Dolly Dearest. So, uh, but it was funny because right, like literally two days before the event, it was like. His last East Coast appearance, and I'm like, oh, you motherfuckers are slick. You you build it as his last convention appearance ever, and then at the last minute they change it to East Coast. But he was he was super cool. Um, it was great, man. It was great. I got to uh to meet Lance Kerwin, who was in Salem's Lot, uh, the original miniseries directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, it was really cool getting to meet somebody from that movie because I, I I love that 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 film, the miniseries, however you want to look at it. It was it was great, and then. Here's where it gets really crazy is I flew from New Jersey to L.A. Oh, here we go. Yeah. I yeah. flew from Jersey to L.A. I literally only spent 12 hours in Los Angeles. I uh, John Carpenter has an annual comic book signing that he does uh, at a place called Golden Apple Comics. Uh, John's wife, Sandy Carpenter, Sandy King Carpenter, she's so fantastic. She uh, She runs a comic book company called Storm King Comics. And they put out just really, really fantastic comics and great stories. And so, of course, John Carpenter is her husband. Of course, he's going to come into the fold somewhere, right? So every year they release, you know, John Carpenter Presents, you know, different comics. And every year in October, they do an annual signing there at this comic shop where he'll sign the comic. And usually he'll sign one or two items additionally at no charge, which is a right now it's a big deal because... Dude, John Carpenter, when he does his private signings, it's like 180 bucks an autograph. So if you get a couple things signed for free, I mean, that's that's quite a bit of money that you're saving. So I flew out there and, you know, um, my best friend Devin lives out there and, you know, he got our tickets for our comics and stuff. So we had, it was insane because Devin was with me in New Jersey. So we went straight from Jersey, flew into LA. His car was at the airport. We got in the car drove directly to the comic shop because there it's kind of like a first come first serve basis, right? So you per- you pre-purchase your tickets, but whatever order in line you are is the order that you're going to meet John Carpenter. So if you're the third person in line that day, you'll be the third person to meet John Carpenter. Um so we got the went directly from the airport to the comic shop. We got our place in line. I think we were like the 29th and 30th people in line, which not not bad. They capped it at 200 this year, so only 200 comics were sold. So they capped it at 200, and I was at wow, you know, number 29 or 30 or whatever it was in line. So we waited and got to got to see the man, the myth, the legend, John Carpenter, who is how many times for now me that you've met him? Yeah, six yeah, or yeah. seven, six or seven for me. He's my he's not only my I've said it before, but he's not only my favorite filmmaker of all time, but he he's an idol to me and. He's my favorite autograph to collect. Uh, I have an obscene and obscure amount of John Carpenter autographs because I love the guy. So we did that, and it was awesome. John was really cool. Um, I told him, <laughs> I told him, like, hey, yeah, I came from here from from Washington D.C. to New Jersey to here. Did he smile? Did he smirk? Did he at least he goes crack a smile? Ah, uh, I mean, I think that pains him to smile. So, but uh, he did. He goes, well, how is it? And so I was like. How was how what? And he goes, back home. How is it right now? And I was like, oh, well, the weather is much colder <laughs> than it is here. Uh, I was like, I overdressed, dude. I, I was wearing like a hoodie and like a fucking denim, like fucking jean jacket vest thing. I was sweating my ass off, man. I 
the moment that I got my shit signed, I ripped that stuff off and threw it in the car. And so without going into too many details, because, you know, sometimes when we tell these stories, I can't tell everything for certain reasons. Um, Secrets. Secrets. Uh, what I can say is that I am friends with someone that is a mutual friend of Michael Doherty's. And I had mentioned to my buddy, like, dude, I'm such a huge Michael Doherty fan. Like, I love Trick or Treat. I love Krampus. You know, um, is there any way that he's going to be around on this day? I'll be in L.A. And I thought it was going to be a situation where it was, hey, you know, he didn't get back to me or yada, yada, yada. Dude, he texted my buddy back and was like, yes, I'm here right now if they want to come over. So I got to spend maybe 20, 25 minutes with Michael Doherty, um, just talking, bullshitting with him the day before Halloween. It was amazing. I got uh, two autographs. I got him on a full-size trick-or-treat poster and then on an 18 by 24 electric zombie trick-or-treat poster. They're beautiful. Um, it was great, man, but it's funny. I, I already had his autograph on the electric zombie one. But he signed it in. A, so you got it dude, again. He signed it in a really busy part of the poster, <laughs> and my my friend got it for me a while ago. And so when I got the poster, I was like, "Fuck, man!" He signed it in a really busy place, and it's like, "Where's Waldo?" Like I would have to show you where the signature was. So I I didn't even think he was gonna notice that it had already been signed, dude. Sure as shit, he goes to sign it, and he goes, "Oh, I already signed this," and I was like, "Oh, fuck!" I was like, "Yeah, man, it's like in a really." busy place on the poster like can you really said yeah that yeah too. i said i said would you would you mind just signing it like on sam's head just would you would you please just he sign was like it again? okay because you know like non-autograph collectors like they don't know they're like i don't know i fucking i signed it already and it's like dude i want your your signature to pop out and you know i want to show that shit off so it was really really cool i like i said i spent 12 hours in la Flew back to New Jersey, got in my car, and drove another four and a half hours home to be home on Halloween to go trick-or-treating with my girls. And, dude, I was so fucking tired. But the rule was, my wife was like, you can go, but I don't want to hear shit about you being tired. And you got to be back for trick-or-treat. So. I just, I put on a fucking happy face, and I just ch I chugged a bunch of Mountain Dew, and, uh... <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I powered through it, it, man. It was, it was great, dude. It was, it was a lot of fucking fun, man. See, your Halloween compared to mine, I mean, I'm not even going to bring mine up. Right. It's not even worth it. It's, I mean, it's, it's totally not even, it's, yeah, it was shit compared to yours. But I'm glad that that happened for you, man. I know you called me after one of those things yeah. happened. And, uh, one it, of the things we can't again, talk about. Yeah. I of cried. Course, of I cried. But yeah. I know, but I know, and Happy I won't tears. say, but it was 100% one of the coolest fucking things ever. And so moving along past yeah. that, we just want to take the time to, if you're listening to this now on opening day, which is Thursday, the day we release these episodes, you still might have time. We've gotten the opportunity from Sony to promote a Ghostbusters Afterlife fan event. Friday at AMC Theaters, Georgetown, 8 p.m. We got passes to give away. We've got only a handful, but all you have to do is jump on our social media and comment on the post. If you see it, just tell us why you love Ghostbusters and select fans will be chosen for free passes. The fans attending this select IMAX showing, 
There will be a pre-screening Q&A with the film's co-writer and director, Jason Reitman, live streamed directly from the Chinese theater. Of course, we all wish it was happening here in D.C., but he's making his rounds, man. He's got to do his thing. You know, those little press junkets gets really busy. But if you're interested, this fan event's supposed to be a lot of fun. So head on over the page, say what's up and leave a comment and then you could you can win again we're always trying here at brain stew epic film guys to give you guys free stuff so yeah th- thank so. you sony pictures for being good to us so we can be good to you yeah and unfortunately sony coca-cola you didn't send me any ecto cooler jeremy i'm sure you know the whole predicament with ecto cooler right now now i still have some from 2016 in my closet it's just sitting there it's on. I wonder. I wonder. Like, I know that the uh, the fucking LA Beast. I don't know if you watch his videos. I know that he he drank some old ass Acto Cooler. But I wonder if the 2016 one would make you sick if you tried to drink it right now. Uh, probably not. I mean, knowing my stomach of steel from how many years of prove it, boozing. Uh, well, I, I would. I would. But instead, I'm actually gonna drink on the air. I've been saving this for like six months. The Fye exclusive Ghostbusters Ecto Thirst Quencher Tropical Flavor Soda. It's green as a motherfucker. It's got Slimer on the label. Listeners, I know you can't see this, but I posted about it months ago and never drank it. I saved it, so I'm gonna open it up. Dude, and your sip pee it. is gonna be the strangest color after this. Uh, it, Yo, Pepe. It's gonna be like I, I. I chugged a hundred vitamins or something. <laughs> smells okay, like it fish smells... oil. It's still it's faintly like ecto cooler. Huh. I don't know. Let's see. I taste a hint of ecto cooler. It's not the worst thing I've ever had. Okay. Not, not ecto cooler, but awesome enough. And the fucking label, like I said, Slimer. And on the bottom here, we got. All four of the original Ghostbusters. So, I mean, that's cool enough as it is. I just had to bring up the fact, I know the premiere was last night in New York City, and everyone that attended the premiere, all the fans and everything, there was a huge ecto-cooler push, and they all got a bottle. It looks like they're putting it in like a Gatorade-type bottle this this time. There's no boxes or cans. But they are making it exclusive to some of these events. Uh, it's so weird. Premiere. Like, you know that people want that stuff. So, like, why? Lots of people. Why? Lots of people. You know, I, I said pre-show to you a few years ago when Stranger Things, you know, had the new Coke in the episode. Coca-Cola did a new Coke Stranger Things box. And all you had to do is go on their website, pre-order it. It was nothing like the Back to the Future 2 Pepsi thing where that debacle, that was a fucking huge mistake where no fans got anything and they all got dicked but with the stranger things campaign it could have been the same way here just let fans buy it online you don't have to mass produce it and put it into stores i think they're just worried i mean let's be clear here and we'll probably discuss this in the review a little bit it's ghostbusters 3 man and there's very little if any hype for this thing minus just hardcore fans no, getting excited we, we, so. we talked about this before the the movie started last night you know, they dropped the trailer way too soon. I think they delayed the movie with COVID or whatever the fuck. They um, did, yeah, like twice. But, like, they they just, they waited too long. I mean, I, I, excluding the 32 years that we had to wait for this thing. They waited too long, like, to release this. They dropped the trailer and everybody was so hype. And that was so long ago. And then they came out, like, haphazardly with another trailer, like, what, a week and a half ago? Two weeks ago? 
and that was supposed to hype everybody up, but, like, I just, I think that we had waited for so long that it was just like, oh, okay, now, now it's really coming out. I don't know, like, I feel like it, the delays kind of has made, you know, this premiere a little bit lackluster. Well, I mean, you gotta think, they did the same thing, actually, No Time to Die, the newest entry in the James Bond series, was delayed more than any other movie, and it actually just took the number as being, like, the biggest box office success you know, post COVID. So wow. I'm praying, I'm hoping, man, I really am. Like, I know that the 2016 movie rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I liked it for what it was. I know it's, we're not going to open that can of worms tonight, but you know, the reality is, is that it didn't do that well at all. People hated it before it even came out before they even saw a trailer. Then after the first trailer, they hated it even more. And the people that did go see it, some liked it, a lot of people hated it. And then other people hated it without even seeing it. So that bad taste left in their mouth from fucking five years ago. Yeah, you and I, we both discussed it when that movie came out. And we were like, you know what? That was that was a fun movie. Not a great Ghostbusters movie by any means. But Definitely it was, not. It was no. fun. And, and your kid liked it. And my wife really liked it. And, you know, my daughter, who's five now, she likes that movie. So... You know, it just, it has a certain audience and it wasn't what Ghostbusters fans, what they wanted for so many years. Like, we wanted Ghostbusters 3 and last night we we got to see that movie. And I I refuse to call this just Ghostbusters Afterlife. To me, this will always... Of course, because you're a contrarian. You have to, I mean, again, had it been titled that officially, you know it would confuse the fuck out of millennials. They'd be like, Ghostbusters, there's three, there's a second one? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So... No, it makes sense marketing-wise, but make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, it is 100% Ghostbusters 3. But before we get into our promo break and we get into the actual review, which will be full spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, hold off on the review. Or just listen up until this point and come back. But, Jeremy, I've been waiting for years for the possibility of having you on this show before Brain Stew was even thought of, when we were just friends and EFG was a thing. You got a Bill Murray story, motherfucker, and you got to tell it. You got to tell our listeners this story. I do, I do. So, I I have a Ghostbusters poster that I started. Uh, Dan Aykroyd did a bottle signing, and I know you met Dan Aykroyd as well. Yeah, exactly two years ago today, and he no was fucking, fucking amazing. Shit. I what? stood out, in, damn dude, stood outside in line for eight hours in freezing cold temperature, and it was totally worth it. But yeah, man. Yeah, so I, I had met Dan Aykroyd at one of his uh, Crystal Skull Vodka bottle signings in uh, Pennsylvania, and he was amazing, and he signed a bunch of stuff for me, and he was really cool. And I, I had, to that point, you know, I'm a big autograph collector, as you guys know by now, and I intentionally never started a Ghostbusters piece, because I was like, dude, there's there's no point. Like, I'm never going to meet Bill Murray. Like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get uh, to Dan Aykroyd. You know, Ernie Hudson was the only person that was doing conventions. So I got right. Dan Aykroyd on this poster, and I was like, cool. Well, then I found out that right down the street from us in Washington, D.C., there was a little event that they do every year called the Kennedy Center Honors, where they honor, you know, people that have contributed to the entertainment industry and, and things like that. And I found out Bill Murray was going to be there. So I was like, oh, shit. Well, that's that's crazy, you know. Bill Murray is known in the autographing world as not being the most fan-friendly guy. Like, he might show up at a bowling alley and buy beers for everybody. He might show up at a karaoke bar. He might show up at somebody's wedding reception. 
you know, out of nowhere and have a great time. And, oh, Bill Murray is so spontaneous, so cool, so funny. But in or at a jazz concert or at a baseball game, you might have the best Bill Murray story ever. But I mean, yeah, he, I've, yeah I've heard him bartending at the his son's bar. Yeah, He'll just randomly show yeah. up and bartend all night and have a good time. He, um, and he, you know, I'm sure he's a nice guy in his own way, but he does not like the fan thing very much. It's not something that's for him. Um, it's not his thing, man. So when people approach him, he's just like, I don't want anything to do with that. So he kind of, it's kind of the cold shoulder when it comes to fans in that regard. Like if you walk up in fanboy or want an autograph, he definitely does not like signing autographs. 100%. So I said, fuck, it's Kennedy Center honors. It's right down the street for me. I, I could put a couple hours on it. I'll go for a couple hours and just see what happens. And in no shape or form, did I think it was actually going to happen? Did I think he was going to sign? So you know this, but the audience doesn't know this. I ended up on TMZ. Like we should post. I remember. Yeah, we should. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll post the link. We should. It, I'm sure it still exists. Oh, it does. Into the, it into does. the fan group. But um, dude, that's what I fucking remember. Me s- seeing the link, looking at it. I was like, oh, Jeremy was there. And seeing you in the TMZ video and sending it to you being like, dude, you're on fucking TMZ. <laughs> With Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You were the one that sent it to me. I'm the first thing that you see in that video, too. Um, yeah. So, dude. I was on the floor, dude. I'm not even going to lie. I was on the fucking floor laughing. Oh, it was fucking, over, it was hilarious, man. So, it. so here's what happened, man. We're at the Kennedy Center. And uh, Jimmy Walker, JJ from Good Times, he shows up first, right? And, like, dude, like, all of a sudden, he was, like, not trying to sign autographs for people that wanted his autograph. I'm like, damn, it's like that? JJ from Good Times doesn't want to sign autographs for fans like that. I mean, how long's it been since someone wanted his autograph? That's what I'm saying. He was like, I'm not signing no fucking autographs. Shit. I'm like, holy shit. JJ from Good Times is like, nah, fuck you guys. So um, he, he was cool. He was all right. I got a picture with him and shit. So uh, all of a sudden, I, I swear to God, Jess, I'm not exaggerating. This fucked up beater white soccer van that literally had body damage on the side of it pulls up. And I remember that me and, you know, maybe the 15 other people waiting, everyone went, ah, nobody's going to be in this van. Nobody of importance is going to be in this van. Back door to this van opens up. This fucked up damaged van opens up. Motherfucking Bill Murray gets out of this fucked up soccer van. He's got on a den- like denim overalls and like a, like a beanie cap. He looks like fucking The Life Aquatic, like straight up. Yeah. Just like he was at a Wes Anderson yeah, movie. Straight up. So he gets out and dude, there's like 15 of us waiting and he gets to the first person and all of a sudden they hold cash out to him and they're like, Bill, Bill, I got some money if you'll sign this. And he was like, yeah, sure. Okay. He takes the money and he signs the autograph. The next person, Bill, I got 20 bucks right here. If you could sign this item for me. Yeah. Okay. He takes the money. He signs the autograph. And I'm like, dude, out of all the time that I have ever autographed, like street autographed, Justin, I'm not, not a convention, you know, not shit like that, but like on the street randomly, I've never seen a celebrity ask for money. Like I'm not signing unless you hand me money. Now I know that Tom Noonan from monster squad and last action Hero, I know he does that. He's another one that he's like, if you want me to sign an autograph for you, that's valuable. My time is valuable to give me money on the street. But I was unprepared. I didn't have any cash on me. I'm a debit card guy. I'm a credit card guy. So all the, I mean, let, let's be fair, though. Most people are debit credit card people. Cash yeah. is like, that's that's old school. It bro. is. So he gets to me 
and I've got this fucking poster that's got Dan Aykroyd on it. And literally, he grabs the Sharpie from me. He goes, oh, hey, pal, how you doing? And he, he goes to put the Sharpie down. He goes, oh, where's your money? And I was like, Bill, I'm a massive fan. I don't have any cash on me, man. Can, can you just sign it for me, please? Like, you can personalize it to me so you know that I'm a fan. My name is Jeremy. And he goes, ooh, yeah, yeah, pal, maybe on the way out. And he hands the Sharpie back to me. He does not sign the autograph for me. And I was like, fuck, dude, if that was my only chance to get Bill Murray, I will never forgive oh. myself for not having $20 on me. So, he, Dude, my heart would sink oh, into my fucking chest. Dude, I felt like I was oh, going to fucking dude. like lose it, man. So he goes inside, and I was like, fuck. So I look at one of the security guards, and I was like, hey, do you have an ATM machine inside? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, can I go inside and get some money? He goes, yeah. So I go inside the fucking Kennedy Center. I, go, I find an ATM machine, and this was for rehearsals, by the way. This wasn't for the actual event. Like, this was in the morning for rehearsals. So I get back outside, dude. He comes back outside and he starts taking money from people and signing autographs. Dude, he skips me. He walks right past me and I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to get him. I'm not going to, like, here he is. I fucked up. I'm not, so I was like. The anticipation is growing. Dude, it, it was awful. So I was like, Bill, dude, I, I pulled some money out, man. Can you sign my poster? Bill, can you sign my poster? So finally, thankfully, I think it was actually the TMZ guy. He goes, so there's a guy with a camera behind me. I'm not paying any attention to him. I have no idea who he is, why he has a camera. I don't give a fuck. I just want Bill Murray's autograph on my poster. So finally, the guy with the camera goes, hey, Bill, you got a really big fan right here that he's got some money. If you can sign for him, please. And Bill finally looked over me. He goes, oh, and he took my money, right? And so I pulled 40 out because I had my little Ecto-1 you know, toy car, and I had my poster. So he he signs my poster, right? And I was like, cool. I said, I, I gave you 40 if, if you could also sign my, my Ecto-1. And dude, he completely ignored the shit out of me. He took my 40 bucks and only signed the poster. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, 40 bucks for a Bill Murray autograph. That's a steal and a half, dude. That's that's gold, Especially bro. because, that's, I mean. Dude, he, he doesn't sign autographs. He does not sign autographs, dude, period. So like, and I don't think he has for years since then. Um, so dude, this is why it made TMZ though. He gets down to another guy and the guy tries to hand him $2. So Bill takes the money and then he looks at it and, and realizes that it's $2 and Bill looks at the guy and goes $2. He threw the money back at the guy and he goes, go get a job and come see me some other time. And then he walked off. So I think the TMZ title is Bill Murray savagely refuses autograph or some shit like that. But Dude, I, I, I have a kind of a Bobo picture with him, you know, like I have a, like the person behind me, like I kind of turned my head to the side. So Bill's right in front and of me. And you know me. how much I love you. You know how much I yeah. love you. But every time I see that photo, I fucking die laughing because it's hilarious. Oh, dude, it's the closest I'm going to get to a picture with, with me and Bill Murray. So I will fucking take it. I will no, take it. No, of course. 100%, yeah. man. And the fact that you're in a TMZ video, but before we get to our promo though, I remember you telling me there's a reason why he he takes the money. Does he not have so, like a special reason or something? So at that time, it was like there was like like a hurricane that fucked up Puerto Rico, and so he was saying it was for like a like a hurricane relief fund. But like, dude, I swear to God, I know I know for a fact that he was out at the bar the night before or whatever, because uh, I have some graphing buddies that were like, "Oh man, he was out till like two o'clock in the morning." I'm like, you know what's funny? 
is if you're Bill Murray and shit like that, I don't that's know. That's his bar money, dude. Man. I, that is that's bar what money? I think, man. I think that he's like, oh yeah, it's for Puerto Rico, and he's like, yeah, let me get a vodka Red Bull. You know what I mean? Let me get a fucking IPA. Uh, I, I think the money. Who knows, man? Maybe he sent it off to Puerto Rico, or maybe he kept that as his, you know, his pocket money, dude. Who knows? Half and half. Sure. Maybe he sent like you sure. know fifty bucks to Puerto Rico, and the rest is like, yeah, I'm, I'm drinking good tonight for free because I ain't done a movie in five months. I was I was only at the Kennedy Center for like two hours, and other people showed up, man. Like other huge celebrities. I met Norm Macdonald there. That was cool. Um, that's great considering you know we just lost RIP, him. man. He, he's a legend, he was really man. nice, man. Um, I met uh, Jimmy Kimmel as well. I have a picture with Jimmy Kimmel. Um, but I left as soon as I got Bill Murray, I was like fucking mission accomplished. And like all these other autographs are like, where are you going? I was like, dude, I got Bill Murray. They're like, other celebrities are coming. And I was like, oh, I don't fucking care. <laughs> like Bill Murray is the only reason I came here. <laughs> dude, fucking Ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. So you serious? Dude, it was, it was, it was a really cool experience. I'm glad it worked out cause it could have gone sideways and it almost went sideways. Yeah. But you have this amazing story to go along with it and a TMZ article. So ladies and gentlemen, There it is. We're going to take a very quick promo break. And when we come back, our full spoiler-filled review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Ghostbusters 3. Right back. Hi, this is Mikey. And this is Maddie. And we are the Alone in the Dark podcast. Join us on this nostalgic journey through horror where you will find top five theme podcasts and audio commentaries curated for some of your favorite horror films. If you're into celebrating the best films that came out during a certain year, then you'll really dig our class of episodes. We even repurpose lines from your favorite horror movies to create a brand new story for our special In the World of podcasts. We bring you something different each and every episode, so let us be your video store curators. Fun is guaranteed, and there are never any late fees. Remember, you're never really alone in the dark. And we are back, creeps, for another Fresh Fright reviews of Ghostbusters 3 Afterlife, right? I already said before, I'm not fucking calling it Ghostbusters Afterlife. You just have to. to, I have to. We waited. I wonder how many other fans are are calling it the same. Dude, we waited 32 years for this, and ever since the internet's fucking infancy, I have followed the production hell of Ghostbusters 3. All of the false starts and stops. Every dude, Dan Aykroyd, over the past, you know, easily over the past twenty-five years, has confirmed to media outlets, it's it's happening. We're doing Ghostbusters three, and it it would get people hyped up only for it to get shut down, and like all of a sudden there's no news, right? And infamously, so Dan Aykroyd and, and Harold Ramis wrote a script for Ghostbusters 3 called Ghostbusters Go to Hell. Allegedly, they sent it to Bill Murray. Of course. And Bill Murray got the script, and allegedly, he shredded the script in a shredder, put it in a shoebox, and mailed it back to them with a note that said, this is what I thought about your script. Okay? Also, allegedly... Sony Pictures would not green light a Ghostbusters 3 without Bill Murray. He was the That's he was correct. the holdup. He was completely the holdup. Yeah. 
That's 100% correct. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, so right I know, and, and we'll talk more about this as we really get into the meat and potatoes of Ghostbusters Afterlife, but uh, I know that Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, you know, they, they worked on films after the Ghostbusters films. and Yeah, they did Groundhog yep, Day, but... They had, a, they had a falling out um, where they yep. did not talk for many years, and I feel like that was why, one of the reasons at least why Bill Murray was so hesitant to come back. At one point, Bill Murray even stated, nobody wants to see fat, old Ghostbusters. And that that was that's a quote of why he would not come exact back. Exact quote. Exact quote. Unfortunately, unfortunately, though, you know, he did, you know, opt to be in fucking zombie land. Dude. As himself, with the outfit on. He, show, he so, showed up at, like, the Spike Horror Awards um, yeah, Spike Awards yep. in, the, in outfit. the outfit. Yeah, so I mean, I think, honestly, I think... And he did the voice of Garfield it, in two fucking Garfield movies. Let's not forget about that, guys. <laughs> well, of course that. But also, you know, they did the brilliantly fantastic Ghostbusters video game, which got them all back together. Now, I don't know if they recorded all of their voice tracks in the same room, but that is the last time, Jeremy, that all of the original Ghostbusters were in a project together. That game was amazing. I'm not even a gamer, dude. I haven't been a gamer since I was in my early 20s. I don't play games anymore. But when that came out, I fucking had to have that. That was the biggest thing because they all voiced their characters. So they got all of them back for that. Apparently, it's, he wouldn't do apparently a movie. that video game is canon as well. Like they consider that yeah. canon the story that, that was told. Well, I don't I don't know about in this movie. I, I don't know be, about in this movie, but I, I, probably another deep dive. Sure. I mean, so but it is true that the reason we didn't get a Ghostbusters three up until right now it's because of Bill Murray. But Bill Murray does, as you said earlier on with your story, as Bill Murray pleases. He chooses his projects very carefully. He's almost always in every single Wes Anderson movie. And he, he you know, man, he's a free spirit. I totally get it. And I got to give him kudos before we get into this review because I watched his Late Night with Seth Meyers interview. Him, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson got interviewed and I could see him like, you know, five years ago, phoning it in, not giving a fuck. He talked about the movie with warmth and comfort and appreciation for the fans. And he also talked about Harold Ramis. There was a joke how so we don't owe him anything, you know, busting his balls yeah. and well, you know, they, they made up, um, before they did right. I, you know, before Harold, yep, passed, they made up and they, they, and they reconciled and like, dude, let's, let's also not forget that Bill Murray was in the 2016 all female Ghostbusters movie and he phoned it the fuck in. Hey, he check. was one of the worst things about it. Oh my God. Hey, check uh, baby. Why even ha again? He's like, I'll do it, but I'm going to be obscenely bad and terrible and not give a fuck. But ladies and gentlemen, Ghostbusters Afterlife is about Egon Spengler's daughter going through some hard times. She's a single mother and her two children and her are forced to move to his decayed farmhouse in Somerville, Oklahoma, left to them by Egon, where a series of unexplained earthquakes are occurring and hijinks ensue Ghostbusters style. So last night, Jeremy, we rarely ever talk about the movie we're watching as we're watching it, or even sometimes after it, because we want to wait until we get to the show to make it more surprising. But I turned to you last night, tilted my head as soon as the final end credit scene rolled. And what did you say? That was my favorite movie of the year. 
Ghostbusters Afterlife and was so far my favorite movie of the year. I it was a roller coaster ride of nostalgia. But you know, sometimes we get those movies and they're just fan service and nostalgia, and that's their whole shtick is oh well, we'll get we we'll give you this, remember this? Well, here you go. And and that's that's a disservice once you if you overly provide fan service, it's a disservice, right? Um, because you're not telling a good story then. But this felt like a roller coaster ride of not only nostalgia, but of new characters that just were absolutely fantastic and, you know, thrusted us back into the Ghostbusters universe. Because, I mean, how easy would it have been for them to give us Ghostbusters Afterlife and it start with the OG characters and shit starts to, you know, go all ghosty and then they introduce new characters. That's not what we got. We got introduced to these brand new characters almost right from the beginning. Right after the first scene, we got brand new characters that we follow throughout the entirety of the film and they were wonderful, man. You know, the they were wonderful. They were likable. They were well-developed. Their dialogue was good. I liked almost all of them. And as we get through this review, I will pinpoint a few flaws the film has. But what I found so interesting is that much like we connected at an emotional level with Halloween Kills, maybe, maybe there's like this weird, strange, like maybe we need to... Ask Dan Aykroyd this strange psychic connection between your brain and my brain when we sit next to each other. But the last thought that I had in my fucking head before I asked you that question was, this is this is probably my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. That I turned to you and those are the exact yeah. words that came out of your mouth. I felt like I was a ventriloquist and I was feeding words into your mouth. You, you, yeah, you said, oh my God, fucking me too, man. It's It's my favorite movie of the year so far as well. And like you were, you were so stoked because we had just experienced this fucking epic Ghostbusters movie together. And then you know when we were on Gerald's podcast, two, two peas in a pod, um, our lists for top five eighties <laughs> slasher films were almost identical, and we did not talk about that before the show. Like you had your list, so maybe it may. Yeah, maybe our heads don't need to be like right to each other. Maybe it's just like this weird psychic link. But it was so weird because, I mean, throughout the movie, you sit next to someone, you know, there's chuckles, you know, there's sounds people make when they like certain things or they don't like certain things. And I had no idea, honestly, if you liked the movie or not. There were a few scenes where I turned to you for reaction and you didn't respond. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, because I'll do that to Danielle sometimes and she'll get so mad. But when there's a moment where I'm like, holy yeah, fuck, yeah. proton pack. I was like, oh, it is the sound yeah. of it immediately. Like my whole body filled with goosebumps. But um, yeah, right off the bat, dude, I mean, I think this movie does everything a good sequel needs to do. It provides you with new characters that are likable, well-written, they are grounded, but they are grounded, Jeremy, in the lore, in the mythology of the Ghostbusters universe, and with so much care and precision, this is a love letter to Jason's dad's movies. They are a love letter to what Dan Aykroyd created with Harold Ramis. Everything about this movie screams like that... There was so much effort put in to make a movie special, not only for fans, but also for new moviegoers. Because I'm telling you right now, man, 
kids are going to love this movie the same way if you were a kid back when the original Ghostbusters came out, or in my case, the first one I ever saw was part oh, two shit. in 89. Um, I think kids are really going to have a blast with this movie. Um, I just, there's something so special about it, but right from the opening scene, which is extremely well done, a, a great action sequence. Jaw dropping. Dude, it had, it had yeah. Egon without having Egon. They obviously cast somebody with the same kind of build and frame as him because this was supposed to be current day Egon. So older guy, you know, kind of grayish hair. The way that Jason Reitman shot this scene with the shadows and the angles, like you didn't have to do a close up and it be a CGI Egon. You already knew. You, knew. you already you knew. knew. It was beautiful right too. It was beautiful yeah. the way that it was shot. And it was amazing. And it a great chase sequence. Oh, yeah. great, great chase sequence. A lot of awesome ghost gags and proton pack gags and, and everything. It was, it was immediately we're back in the Ghostbusters universe after being away for such a long yeah, time. It, it, dude, it kicks it off with a boom, really. Like, it, it gets you in. And what I love about this movie, not to get too far ahead, but it, it, it kicks it off with this boom, and then it introduces us to our new characters, and then it's a very nice, slow character Dude, build until we get more ghosts. I was stuff. just about to say, the thing that I love the most about this film is it doesn't try to be this fast-paced action thing. It really takes its time. It lets the story breathe. It allows us to fully get to know these characters that we're being introduced to, and it... it it takes its time, and by the time that shit starts hitting the fan, you know, you know these characters. You care about these characters because the filmmakers took the time to allow us to care about these characters. To care about them, to invest your yep. time in them, because they're giving you interesting things for the most part. Again, it's not without some flaws here, but I have to give so much credit one of the, my main things, one of my favorite things about this movie, actually the centerpiece of this movie that works so well, nothing in this movie would be what it is without McKenna Grace as Phoebe Spangler, Callie's daughter, All-star. Egon Spangler's granddaughter. She is absolutely fucking brilliant in the movie. Her performance is so fantastic, so believable. I mean... So, so many fans, Jeremy, back in 2016, when they decided to do an all-female cast, there were a lot of misogynist assholes that had a huge problem with that. Little did anyone know that as that movie was being released, Jason Reitman was already writing the script for this movie. He already had a fresh idea on how to bring out a new, young, youthful, coming-of-age Ghostbusters movie that would tie itself back to the original. A lot of people were really taken back and upset by the fact that that movie did not fall on the same continuity as the original two movies. It could well, have. Dude, they had the all, you know, minus Harold Ramis, but they had the other three Ghostbusters in the movie. You're just literally taking a huge shit on the top of our heads by giving us a Ghostbusters movie that has the Ghostbusters in it but they're playing different characters and it's a different universe. Missed opportunity. Absolute made absolutely no, no sense. sense. And it was a waste of time. But here we have Phoebe Spangler, who is an outcast, but not in that weird Hollywood fakey fake way where it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be one of these super nerdy kids that becomes cool by the end of the movie. She 
feels like a real person. This girl is into science. That's her passion. But dude, she doesn't know why. There's a reason for that. Her mother, Callie, played by Carrie Coon, has hid the history of her father. She was abandoned by her father, Egon, what apparently was early in life. So this grandfather is an estranged part of their family who left the entire family, abandoned them, went off to live on this dirt farm, and no one really knows what he was doing, but apparently they're they're thinking of him as a selfish figure. As we learn throughout the movie, Phoebe starts uncovering more and more of what he was trying to do on this dirt farm, which, by the way, that set, holy shit, dude. So I, I did some research before we did this review. That house they built on that farm was not only the exterior, Jeremy, but the interior. Most times when they do that, the set on the interior is on a soundstage. They built an actual living, breathing house on that farmland to use for filming. I mean, that's unheard as, of. As they should have, man. Less less hustle and bustle, less moving around. Here's where we're filming. I think that's I think that's great. Um, yeah, I mean the the locations are beautiful. The town, it's supposed to be in Oklahoma. Um you know, everything looks looks beautiful and you know, I I I'm a guy that I love eighties horror. I love eighties film in general. I, I'm gonna go ahead and just throw this out there as well, Justin. I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but there is some practical effects with puppets, dude. Oh. Puppets and oh. and props and life size you know, animatronics and things like that. They could have easily gone the studio route. I mean, fuck, Ghostbusters 2016 did. It was all CGI, man, because, oh, we'll just do it in post, right? No, fuck that. Dude, they had puppets. They, like I said, they had life-size animatronics. Um, Some of the most beautiful fucking ghosts that we've seen ever on film. It was just fantastic to where, dude, I just remember looking over at you at certain points with some of the practical prosthetics and things and just being like, holy fuck. Like, man, they they get it. Jason Reitman, he gets it. His dad, Ivan Reitman, was on set every single day for, for Ghostbusters Afterlife. And they really give a shit about this franchise so much that they want it to feel so authentically connected to Ghostbusters 1 and 2. And they crush it. I'm going to say something right now. I'm going to say something right now, Jeremy. You may not agree with me. And I know some of our listeners may come at me and want to, you know, burn me at the fucking stake. Hey, consider me Vigo, man. Put me back into my painting. Blast me out of it. But this movie felt, to me, almost more like Ghostbusters than Ghostbusters 2 did. And that's a, a weird feeling. But there's something about this movie. And then, you know, these new characters felt so legitimate and so connected without even knowing they were. You know, the Phoebe Spangler character is just, again, she's so out of place in the world and doesn't really understand why. They explain that the father is out of the picture. No real reason other than probably just for the sake of the plot because that would probably muddy up the story a little bit. But, I mean, you know, she starts uncovering more and more about her grandfather. And as a fan, I thought it was so refreshing because they took that mythology and they made it so mythic. Like it was such a, it was of legend because I mean, 
you got to think, man. I mean, for example, the last occurrence of anything Ghostbusters-wise in this world would be 1989, and that's when Ghostbusters did, did, 2 came out. That's when they fought did they Did they reference Ghostbusters 2 in any way in this film? They did not, but they also did not directly remove Yeah, it, was, it so wasn't it retconned, but like it just wasn't really acknowledged. Because they acknowledged what happened in New York in, in 1984. In, eight, in 84, But they yeah. didn't I think really acknowledge, because maybe, you know, just it wasn't... I don't know, like as, as much as an epidemic. I don't think they yeah. needed to. I don't think they needed to because what happened in the original film was relevant to the story of this one. Whereas in part two, I mean, dude, I mean, I, I, let's I, face it. <laughs> Ivo Shandor was mentioned in the original Ghostbusters film. That's what so. I'm saying. And that's it's an, int- an integral part of this storyline here. So as we move forward, ladies and gentlemen, in this movie, the dots are connecting on this map and they're realizing in this small little town, there's a huge reason why Egon decided to abandon everything and move out to this dirt farm. He has a plan. And at first you're kind of like, man, you know, as a fan, you're like, they're kind of treating Egon like kind of an asshole. Like he doesn't care about his daughter. He doesn't care about his grandkids. Neither of them know who they knew. They don't know who he is. Uh, and they're out here, they're living at this shithole of a house, which looks like an awesome haunted house. <laughs> I mean, it's fucking, it's beautiful to look at. Um, we find out earlier on, you know, Annie Potts makes her cameo in the, in the movie as Janine and she comes in and, and, and tells her, well, your dad didn't have any money. This is what you get. So, but we realize during this summer that there's these little tremors going on in the town. So like these mini earthquakes happening and no one really knows why phoebe is going to like a summer learning program because she'd rather do that than apparently repaint the walls of the attic with her mom and here's where she meets chad gruberson (laughs) paul rudd's character who's a teacher there who's what is it what is it jeremy a size seismologist seismologist yeah 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 so he he's he's like a guy a scientist that knows all about like all the shit that happens in the ground and tremors and all that stuff. And they immediately start picking up the pieces and realizing there's something more than meets the eye in this town. There's a history here. And what comes along from here, Jeremy is one of my favorite fucking characters of the entire movie. He is what I liken to the Ackroyd character in the movie. And that is Logan Kim as podcast, Phoebe's classmate. I mean, dude, we do a podcast. I've been a podcaster for almost eight years and I love when podcasters are represented in, in, in a nice, fine light. He's a nerdy kid. He loves doing his podcasting, but he's very on point with like being a legitimate podcaster. Some of the lingo he's using, he walks around everywhere. He's recording everything. Uh, it's, it's a breath of fresh air to see a character like this. And above all, the kid's funny. And, you know, his show really found its voice in the 46th episode. The 46th episode, yeah. yeah it's, it, it, which is a line that, you know, at the end of the movie, it, it really hits. But, um, you know, she, she makes a friend with this kid and he opens her up to, well, there's this mine here. You know, this is something you need to see. Because Phoebe is, a, 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 yeah, she's like, no, nah, ghosts don't exist. I don't believe in spirits. She's a scientist. So how could that possibly exist? And that's when the story starts to unfold and... She realizes that in this house, 
there's something calling to her, something bringing her to these different areas of the house to show her there's technology. It's great. I mean, at one point, you know, she has this chess set that's in her room and she knocks it over and she picks it back up and she has it on the dresser next to her bed and she puts all the pieces back where they're supposed to go and when she wakes up in the morning, one of the pieces has moved on the chessboard. So then she moves a, a piece and now all of a sudden she realizes that there's something that she can't see that is invisible that's playing chess with her. And rather than her being super freaked out about it, she's like, okay, you're here and we're playing chess. We're doing this. And whatever this presence is, which, you know, you pick up on very quickly that it's, of course. I mean, we yeah. know. We, she doesn't know. But as a viewer, you know it's, what's it's going It's Egon. On. So then, you know, she starts discovering some of his tech around the house. You know, she she finds a proton pack, but it's it's missing certain elements. And there's a lamp that's in the basement that the lamp will move. You know, because Egon was moving the lamp. That was one of my me too, man. It was it was it was it was beautifully done. Where she's like, "Oh well, this proton pack is missing this," and the lamp moves and shines in the area where she could find the piece that she was looking for. So Egon from beyond the grave helps her rebuild a fucking proton pack. Proton pack. And, And and what I love about it is at that point in the film, she still doesn't even know what that is. You know, she's still learning. I mean. She's such an intelligent person. She's so into science, but she learns quickly. She still doesn't know what, again, because her mother has been hiding from her own kids, who her father is, who their grandfather is this entire time. She hates time. him. She hates him you because yeah. he, he ran off, you know, and in Egon's mind, and we find out throughout the course of the film, you know, he realizes that the entire world is in jeopardy from uh, Ivo Shandor. And Gozer, yeah. right? Like, Gozer comes back into this bitch, bro, from the original. So, Egon runs off. Not even Ray, his his ghost-busting partner, understands what happened. He took off with all of the gear. He took off with... Or believes yeah, him. Took, yeah. took off with Ecto-1. But my thing, here's here's where... Let, let's get it. Let's get into this real quick. So, you... Yeah, you, I, I knew this is, you, this is going to be open for... Yeah, so you mean to tell yeah. me that... They had these epic ghost-busting quests, right, in, in 84 and 89. Plus, Ray mentions that they continued ghost-busting for a few years after, and that, yeah. you know, he said it went from 10 calls a week down to two calls a week, down to one call a week, down to no calls a week. And then, out of nowhere, uh, Egon takes off with all the gear and Ecto-1, but Ray won't believe him that the end of time is coming and he has to prevent yeah, it. So like dude. you, you believed all that other shit that you were ghost busting, but Ray couldn't believe that, that Ivo Shandor that was referenced in the original Ghostbusters is trying to bring upon the apocalypse. He couldn't believe that, but yet saved New I York mean, city from a giant fucking marshmallow. Come on. Motherfucker, the apocalypse would have happened in the first movie or the second movie. Had they not stopped those evil forces? So it was that was one of my only issues, major issues with it. It's a it's a very heartfelt conversation. Yeah. So this this scene happens after one of the best action sequences in the movie. So we'll jump ahead a little bit here. So this is after Phoebe and Podcast have already tested the Proton Pack. They're literally out near this old factory and they're testing out the equipment after she fixes it. They hear a sound. In a nearby warehouse, they go into it, and what is 
one of the best, most iconic and memorable ghosts of the entire Ghostbuster series, the brand new Ghost Muncher, which I have in front of me, the brand new plush doll, because that's how much I fucking love this character. So they try to they try to catch Muncher. They are unsuccessful in doing so. But um, what, what I love about Muncher what, is that he eats metal. That's his thing. He likes to eat metal. And what I like is that when Muncher is attacked, he starts spitting the metal out like bullets, which oh, is fucking dude, rad, every man. single time it was it was great and it, it, for a great threat because when you look at him, he's just like this big fat sluggish looking. You're thinking, well, Slimer, all Slimer did was slime you, right? Well, Muncher looks so innocent, like a big blob. But whatever he had just got done ingesting, he can spit back at you and basically like. He could technically slit your fucking throat and rip your head off. Yeah. So, um, I mean, all of that leads to one of my favorite scenes in the movie. We got to get to him real quick before we get to that scene, though. And we we, we Finn Wolfhard that because, yeah, we got to get to Finn as Trevor Spangler, because I feel like out of all the characters in the movie, he kind of he takes the backseat. Yeah, he, um, he moves. I he moves to this small town. He meets a girl that he really likes. He starts working at a burger joint where all the other kids are kind of mocking him a little bit. Um, but he finds a car in, in, in the, the barn, barn which... and of course it's the Ecto-1. And my thing, okay, so, I mean, dude, it's a movie. Let's suspend belief on everything. But So you mean to tell me that the, uh, the, the little girl that likes science... She's, like, capable of putting together all these, like, high-tech contraptions and shit like that. And, like, like rewiring things in the wall. And, like, so, like, she's a fucking super genius. And this this kid who's 15 years old knows how to fix a car. Like, holy fuck. Like, okay. Like, you gotta suspend belief here a little bit. Like, these are some really fucking sharp kids then. Because let me tell you what. I can barely change a fucking tire on a car. And I'm 35. Well, I mean, it's true. It, Actually, it's what am true. I talking about? I'm 37. <laughs> Holy fuck, dude! You're forgetting. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm, I was like, I'm, I'm sober one on this I was show. Like, um, <laughs> you're the sober one. I was like, yeah, I'm 35. I was time. like, oh no, wait, like 30, 37. But I think, I think, I think what it comes from is that he still has that Egon pedigree as well. My only issue is, uh, it, it feels like you know he is the Stranger Things kid. He kind of takes the back seat, but at the same time, Jeremy, I started to understand that had this movie been made like 10, 15 years ago the juxtaposition would have been another male character in Phoebe's role. And this would have been the female role where they're kind of to the side, a love interest. So they just switched it around. And I found that kind of a breath of fresh air. Um, I just, I, until it gets to the part where hijinks ensue and proton packs and the Ecto ones driving down main street in Somerville, he kind of just is a, a, a kid trying to find his place, trying to hang out with other kids his age and doesn't have any idea who his grandfather is. But also I think that lends that element of surprise because he, he gets the Ecto one working. He's driving along. He sees his sister. And then they go on this adventure down mainstream of Somerville trying to catch Muncher. And it is one of the most fun, one of the most energetic, one of the most exciting and entertaining scenes out of any Ghostbusters one, movie. I fucking it, loved this. It was an amazing chase sequence with a fucking awesome ghost, tons of action, a fucking gunner seat coming out of the fucking Ecto-1. Who knew? I, see, I, 
I mean, in the movies, we never saw no. a gunner seat. No. So. so we've got a gunner seat. We've got we've got a proton trap that is is yeah. now hooked up to a remote control car that podcast the kid is controlling. Like, dude, so many exciting things are happening all at once. It's complete eye candy, and it was just fucking incredible. Like, I had such a blast. And I, what what I'll say is that. And I know that you can relate. Do you remember growing up and like watching Karate Kid and and being like immediately being like, I want to be the fucking Karate Kid, right? Or watching Rocky and you want to be Rocky or watching Three Ninjas and you want to be the Three Ninjas. Dude, had this movie. I was Colt, man. I was fucking Colt. I was Colt, Colt, bro. I was Colt. Rocky loves Emily. Emily. (laughs) Rocky loves Emily. Dude, had this movie actually come out when we were kids... This would probably have been my favorite fucking movie of all time at that at that time period. So, okay, and I'm going to throw this out there right now as well. Fuck it. There's going to be a demographic of people that go into this movie, and they're going to be pissed. They're going to go, fuck, you know, that's not the Ghostbusters movie we should have gotten. Like, we should have gotten, you know, the original guys back. There's still three of them left. The whole movie should have been about them. Like, dude, there's already two movies with those Ghostbusters. It's been 32 years, as we said many, many times on this podcast, 32 years since the last Ghostbusters movie. The time frame for another Ghostbusters adventure with those guys had come and gone. They had It's come and they, gone. It's they done. had to yeah. do something else, whether it was a passing of the torch with a new team or whether it was this. And I'm glad that they went with this. I thought interjecting the Ghostbuster universe through the eyes of Children, before we get back to the OG characters, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was exciting. It was refreshing. It was absolutely yeah. refreshing. Um, I know that when Finn Wolfhard was was cast in this role, people, a lot of people collectively went, oh, the fucking Stranger Things, kid. Come on, Oh, man. it's going to be Stranger Things. But this didn't feel a no, thing like Stranger no, Things it to didn't, me at all. it didn't at all. And again, I, I really, really enjoyed this fucking movie. I loved it. And I'm gl- like, I'm glad that we got to see this Ghostbusters universe through the eyes of kids, because at the end of the day, that's, that's kind of what Ghostbusters has been for so long, man. We, you, you, yeah, you got to think, man, back to when we saw the movie as kids, we were kids. kids. That's who, I mean, it was made for everyone. I mean, obviously I'm sure, you know, back when the original came out, Parents went and everyone went and saw it. It was a huge hit. We had the cartoon but show, the toys. We had the real Ghostbusters. We had the costumes. We, we held on to this shit. All of us, man, our age range, right? All the guys that have their own replica Ecto-1s, they're all our age, man, because we all grew up yep. with this. We're all 80s and 90s kids. So you got to think about it. like, And yes, I'm going to say this. I've, I've referenced this so many fucking times. And I know critics right now are having a field day with other mainstream critics. But yes, it is The Force Awakens of the Ghostbusters movies. But practically, and rightfully so, it kind of needs to be that way in order for us to continue and have new Ghostbusters stories. People don't understand. Like, listen, the fact that they got Murray back to do this was a miracle. It was a miracle and when you watch the movie, I'm not going to spoil any of that for you guys. He didn't phone it in. He is Vankman. Through and through. On point, 100%. He tried here. Everyone from the old cast came in, and it feels like Ghostbusters. This is 
Ghostbusters. And I think people just need to take a few steps back, realize that we're never all going to get exactly the movie we want. You know, and I, I, get I, I didn't, you know, we critique movies. I didn't but, feel robbed of like, you know, I, I could see some Ghostbusters fans saying like, I want more. I wanted more of them. I wanted more of them. I felt like it was perfect and it was respectful. It was perfect. It was, and it, and it exactly. honored everything that we loved about the original films and they show up and it's heroic. And I mean, dude, the comedy's there. Everything's there. It was perfect. I walked away so content after watching this movie. I got a Ghostbusters 3, and it was a completely new experience. You know why? Is they didn't take the carbon copy that had been done before and tried to emulate it and do it again, right? Because let's face it, Ghostbusters 2 essentially like, here's some themes. Ghostbusters 2 is identical to the yeah, first it's like, movie. Here's some things that work. You know, it's like any sequel. It's like a slasher sequel, right? Here's, here's what we want to do. Here's the formula. We're going to make a sequel. We're going to stick to the formula. We'll do a couple new things here and there, but here's the formula. This was not that. They told a new story in that universe, and it was a breath of fresh air. I'm sorry. I love the original Ghostbusters, and I'm, I'm so thankful that this movie was not just like old man Ghostbusters coming out of retirement because ghosts have come back, right? We're, we're reintroduced to this world you know, through these new characters, and it's fucking fantastic. And the reason that I keep beating that point home is because I know that in the reviews and through um, some, you know, some fans, it's it's going to be the exact opposite. So I, I just, I have to keep beating that, that point home because I feel like they did exactly what they should have done. And it's a beautiful Well, film. I mean, to compare, it's very interesting to look at this now. I haven't mentioned Rotten Tomatoes on this show in over a year. And frankly, until we get approved to be on there, I could give a fuck less. <laughs> but right now, I, I, I find this very interesting. This movie has a 67% tomato meter reading. The 2016 movie that everyone hated has a 74% fresh rating with a 49% rotten audience score. I will be very interested, Jeremy, and I will make sure to reference this on next week's episode to see after the first opening weekend what the audience reaction looks like because I think it's going to be mixed. I know on Twitter, just looking today briefly, there was only a handful, which I was shocked at uh, in terms of reactions, but it seems like people are split right down the middle. And my question to all of these people are, what do you want out of this? Because this, as a fan and as a critic, it gave me everything I really wanted. It was fun. It was deeply rooted in emotions. I fucking cried three times in this movie. It's a love letter so much to what we care about with these characters. And it serves up such a true, real Ghostbusters movie. It's, I mean, dude, I, I cried twice. And there was a dude sitting right next to me, like right to the right of me. And like when I. Did when I say, did he cry? No, he, I, I, I don't know if he cried, but like, dude, like, it's not like, you know, like, like when I watched Halloween 2018 and I saw Laurie Strode on the screen again, you know, and I got, I got teary eyed as a bitch, teary eyed, right? This movie, I had tears coming down my face twice. So I'm like wiping my tears away, wiping my tears away. And I was like, 
oh man, I know this guy knows that I'm losing my shit. So, I mean, it was yeah. it was beautiful and the finale was just fantastic and dude, stay in your seats after the credits too. I'll I'll tell you that. You should do that. And what's great is that so Sony has their own division. Sony is devoted to Ghostbusters. Like why wouldn't they be? It makes them a bajillion dollars a year in merchandising and everything else. So Right when this movie starts, you see Ghost Corpse, which is a division of Sony Pictures devoted solely to Ghostbusters-related entertainment stuff. Let's just say that maybe a post-credit scene potentially could set up future installments, Um, which was exciting. Well, you just said it. You just totally said it. It's it's a great scene. We're definitely going to... Not no, gonna no, no, no. Those scenes at all, but they are both good. I think the last one, uh, the final post-credit scene, gave me fucking chills. A lot in this movie gave me chills. There's one other thing before we wrap this up and give our final thoughts that I had to mention, and and it's a side thing, but we're talking about characters. I actually loved Carrie Coon as as Callie Spangler, which is Egon's daughter. Um, I thought she was fantastic in the film. I thought she gave a great performance as this single mom. She was funny. You know, she had a lot of great lines. And Paul Rudd, I wasn't so totally sure about him in the movie, but I thought he really came through and gave a lot of the other comedic moments as well. What people are not understanding when they're watching this movie, because I, you know, Bloody Disgusting came out and said something like the movie picked sentimentality and fan service over humor they're missing the point that or they have a fucking stone cold heart. This movie is filled with comedy and laughs, but what it is is Jeremy. I think so many people miss the point of the original ghostbusters. It is a comedy. Yes, but it is situational comedy. There are jokes, but most of the laughs come from what the characters are experiencing and what they're going through with the ghosts and you know what they're going through at the moment in each scene And that's what they did here. Had they tried to do a modern styled comedy with this movie, like the 2016 movie tried to do by getting every funny female actress in the world to be in it would have been a huge mistake because people forget most of the comedy in the original is dry. And so it is here. And I think it works. I laughed so much in the movie. I laughed as much as I cried, but There is one character I have to bring up, and I feel bad for this character because she's kind of shoehorned in here as a love interest. Celeste O'Connor is Lucky Domingo. I don't even remember them saying her name. Yeah. But this is this is uh, Trevor's classmate and love interest who works at this local diner who he gets he, he asks her for a job. There's like this funny little scene with him trying to hit on her and stuff. Um, this love interest, Jeremy, I don't think necessarily worked that great. I think it was one of the things that for me was the weakest part of the movie, but they felt like they had to do something uh, with Finn's character in order to, you know, put him to the side while Phoebe starts to find all the Ghostbusters stuff. Um, It was fine for what it was, but it wasn't as developed as I had hoped. And at the end of the movie, when she kind of starts to take part and there's like this amazingly iconic suit up scene of all these kids, you know, putting on the jumpsuits, which gave me chills. You know, I'm sure any kid going to watch this movie is good. Just like you said earlier, Jeremy is going to dream. They're going to want to be a ghostbuster yeah. after seeing this movie. For me, her being a part of it kind of felt a little tacked on, but they got to have four. 
So I understand the reasoning behind it. I just wish there was a little bit more. We just know she's the sheriff's daughter in town. She's a fourth generation uh, kid that lives there and she's probably going to be stuck there her whole life. But she's almost like, I hate to say this, she's almost like the Winston Zedmore of this movie. And it's weird that that's the case because she's the African-American character of the new cast. So that's unfortunate that they went that way and that that route because we all know that Winston's role in the original Ghostbusters script was way bigger than what became in the movie because they originally wanted to cast Eddie Murphy and that didn't happen. And then they got Ernie Hudson, who was a brilliant actor, but not a huge star. So that character in the original took a backseat. And of course, he took a backseat in the sequel and I'm babbling, but I'm just trying to make the point that it's unfortunate. That happened again. That, yeah. That happened again here, and it didn't rub me the yeah. wrong way because when she's in the action, she's a fun character and everything, and I hope that we get more of these to see a little bit more from that character, but it was, you know. So, you know, if this movie does gangbusters at the box office, which I, I think it's going to make some good money, even though, like we mentioned earlier, it's it's kind of been lackluster as far as, you know, they released the trailer really early, and then there hasn't been a huge promotional push as of recent for this film where where do you go from here if you want a sequel like you introduced these new characters but is that where the story would go i'm i'm curious at where they would take this next i i i think i think i know but i really don't want to spoil that last post credit scene jeremy so i will hold off on proclaiming what i believe will be the route they take. Um, but I can say that Winston seems to have a, a very large role in the future of this franchise, which I will be extremely happy to see happen if that's the case. Also, the fact that this movie got delayed so many times, all these kids that shot this movie like almost four years ago are now much older. I was watching the footage from the premiere last night and McKenna Grace, who was such a young girl when they shot the movie playing Phoebe, she now looks like she's like in her mid teens or something, you know, it was like barely recognizable. So with that age difference now, they could jump right in and do so much with this. And you know what? I'm just going to say this now. If this is our new team of Ghostbusters for the next few movies we get, or even if we get one more movie, I'm totally happy with that. I like this group of kids. I think they gel very well. I think they have great chemistry and that's what counts because that's what made the original Ghostbusters so special. You grabbed all these guys that were so talented, these amazingly talented actors and writers, you know, Harold Ramis had done fucking Caddyshack and, you know, Dan Aykroyd was SNL and Bill was just crushing it with movies stripes had come out with Harold Ramis. So they were all like these up and coming huge names. And here we have a bunch of up and coming actors that have a great chemistry together that I think could really do something special as ghostbusters. I don't know, man. I mean, the movie leads on as it should to a possible sequel. I hope it does well enough for that yeah. because if I, I want to see, I, mean, I want to see this, this franchise continue and I want Ghostbusters, and I don't want to have to wait another bajillion years to get another Ghostbusters film, a proper Ghostbusters film. I mean, this could be the Ghostbusters for your kids, man. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's a special feeling that we can do that with our kids. We had this 
as for our, our own childhood. And now we're going to have this for our kids and they're going to be able to experience this. And before we finish this out, you touched on it, Jeremy, but I have to say that the fact that they kind of basically hid the original cast until that last trailer, we just got a glimpse, no photos, no nothing, just that one little glimpse. The moment in the film when they hit, they hit hard. It's an explosion. You, it's a burst it of is. emotion. And when it, it, it gave you goosebumps, you hear the sound and the way they reintroduced them was so special. It was, it couldn't have been done better. I think it was the perfect choice. And I think fans are really going to be really happy with it. I think they're going to be satisfied with the route they took and the way that they decided to do it. Dude, Bill Murray had the biggest smile on his fucking face when they showed up to where to me, I, I don't feel like that was like in the script. I think Bill Murray was fucking stoked to be there, stoked to be in that costume, stoked to be Dude, Peter. I think he put Peter the jumpsuit again. back on. Yeah. And he put the, like he was saying on Seth Meyers, he's like, they made the proton packs lighter, but they're still like 40 fucking pounds. And they're making me jump down. He said it was a painful experience. He's, being Bill Murray, but in reality, he had a twinkle in his eye, and you could see it. And that close smile, up, and dude. You can't no. fake that. You can't fake that. So everyone involved wanted to be there, and I think that the fact that Jason Reitman was at the helm with his dad on his side, you know, creatively, he just really wanted to appreciate. He's the kid. He's the kid from Ghostbusters too, who's like. No, I just think you're full of crap, and that's why you went out of business. Like, he's the kid, and now he's making a Ghostbusters movie Amazing. for a new generation. He could not have done a better job. I think his heart was in the right place. I think his mind was in the right place. The script is smart, and the finale, which I will not ruin, there are some great scares. And like you said earlier, those terror dogs, seeing them back and done with a full fucking animatronic uh it, it was so beautiful to see. I mean, that's not a spoiler because you saw there, there's the one ghost and, and I'm not even talking about Muncher. That was like, it pretty much looked like it was straight up ripped out of the cartoon. Like it, it, it would, yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah, surprise. It, it wouldn't is, surprise yeah. me if it was a ghost from the cartoon show that they fucking put in. And there's also fun to be had in a great chase sequence at a Walmart. Yes, there's heavy product placement in this movie. It's 2021, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get upset by it. It's a normal thing that happens. There, There's tons of products connected to Ghostbusters. But the mini Stay Puffs, the mini Puffs, adorable. And your kids are going to love it. It was like gremlins, dude. This movie had something for everyone. It wasn't just Ghostbusters. I felt some Goonies in there. I felt some Gremlins in there. It, it encapsulated so much of our childhood movies that we grew up with that we love so much and I think I can't say anything more about this movie I loved I, it I, I did as well I'm I'm going to see it again on Saturday and I can't fucking wait I, I'm going to see it probably Friday to take the wife because this Saturday I'll be at the Prowler with Brady but ladies and gentlemen there's no trash to treasure it on this because we both loved the fucking shit out of this movie Go see it. It is the Ghostbusters 3. I always hoped and wanted, and it, I'm at a loss for words here. So, Jeremy, if if our fans are liking this episode, if they want to show some love... They should, they should they go to that? iTunes, and they should leave us yeah. a review. 
just say, hey, yeah. you know, these guys, they, they talk about movies and <laughs> it's really entertaining for them to talk about movies, you know, or you can say that we're both really handsome that you've seen pictures of us. Yeah, I mean, you just you yeah. just say what you got to say, but you should you should head on over to the iTunes and leave us a review, man. Yeah, for real. And we couldn't thank you enough. Thank you so much for supporting this brain stew thing we've been doing. It really means a lot to us. The kind words, the reviews, the messages, the comments. Seriously, every single time we get that, we reflect on it. And hey, you're the reason why we do this thing. We love doing it for you. That's what it's all about. Who you so, gonna, who you gonna yeah. call? I mean, who you gonna call? Someone else. Brain stew. So, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, I'm Justin. I'm Jeremy. And uh, we'd like to ask you to keep it. Keep it, it, it creepy. Keep it creepy. Keep it creepy. Keep it creepy.